Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 711 for release on Sunday, October 9th, 2022. In WaveScan today, airplane debris falling from the sky. A report from the 2022 NASB, National Association of Shortwave Broadcasters, annual meeting, and our Philippine DX report. Soon after midday on Monday, August 15th of this year, a metal object fell from a passing passenger airplane on an international flight and it landed with a loud bang near the State House in Augusta, Maine. The falling metal object, weighing six or seven pounds, was described as a wing flap, and as it landed on the ground, it almost struck a nearby security officer. The city of Augusta is the state capital in the American state of Maine. Here now is Ray Robinson with Airplane Debris Falling from the Sky. Thanks, Jeff. A wing flap is located on the trailing edge of an aeroplane wing and it aids in the control of the plane, particularly during takeoff or landing. Large planes have more than one wing flap, the movement of which is controlled by the flight captain. In the aviation industry, pieces of an aeroplane falling off during flight movements are described as PDA, Parts Departing Aircraft, or OFA, Objects Falling Off Aeroplanes. <laughs> When this happens, the Federal Aviation Authority, or the FAA, in the United States requires a close investigation, which sometimes leads to a modification in the manufacture of that model of aeroplane. During each year, there are some 40 million aeroplane flights throughout the world, more than 100,000 a day, and the number of occasions when parts have fallen off an aeroplane in flight is a tiny percentage. However, occasionally some significant damage has been caused on the ground by a falling aircraft part. For example, an Air Canada plane lost part of an engine while flying over Toronto 10 years ago in 2012, and it damaged four cars in the parking lot at the air terminal. However, during the past century of aviation history, there hasn't been a single occasion in which an object falling off an aircraft in flight has injured or killed someone on the ground. Back towards the end of World War II, there was an interesting occasion when a large door fell from an aircraft flying over the city of Melbourne in Australia. The event was described on radio as it was happening. A radio announcer from the local medium wave station 3XY was in the plane at the time. 3XY was originally installed on the top floor ballroom of the multi-level Princess Theatre at 163 Spring Street in Melbourne, and the station was inaugurated on September 8, 1935, with 600 watts on 1420 kHz. The original owner was Frank Thring Sr., and the first manager was Tom Holt, whose son Harold Holt subsequently became a Prime Minister of Australia. Station 3XY was licensed to FT Broadcasters, with the FT indicating the ownership by Frank Thring. In the middle of the next year, 1936, Frank Thring Sr. died and his second wife Olive, together with their 10-year-old son Frank Jr., inherited the radio station 3XY. 
young Frank became an announcer on 3XY, along with two other well-known subsequent announcers. During World War II, announcer Brian Carlton enlisted in the Australian Army, and he was posted to serve with the Australian Army mobile radio station 9AC in Torakina on Bougainville Island in the Western Pacific. Another announcer at 3XY was Barry Sieber, who later joined the International Shortwave Service of Radio Australia. The twin towers of 3XY were installed on top of the Princess Theatre, and in 1948 they were blown down by stormy winds. And then six years later, in 1954, the station was off the air again for a while due to a disastrous fire. In 1965, Station 3XY was moved into a specially built studio facility on Faraday Street in suburban Carlton, with the transmitter at Heidelberg. The studios were subsequently moved to St Kilda Road and then into the Age Building on Spencer Street in downtown Melbourne. During that era, 3XY was often heard with a good signal by the staff at the Australian Wilkes Base in Antarctica, and overnight announcer John Waite would play request music for their entertainment. This was the era in which radio station 3XY in Melbourne was described as the most successful and most profitable radio station in Australia. However, change was on the way. In 1986, the station was sold for £15.75 million. Pounds. And then two years later, in 1988, it was sold for £10 million. Pounds. Then one year later again, in 1989, it was sold for £1 million. Pounds. And finally, two more years later, in 1991, it was sold to AWA for dollars and closed. Medium Wave 3XY had lost its value due to the introduction of FM broadcasting. At that stage, 3XY was on the air from a temporary location at Altona Galvin, some 10 miles southwest of downtown Melbourne. The antenna was no more than a wind-up mast, the ground mat was simply laid on top of the ground, and the operational transmitter power had been reduced to just 2 kilowatts. The historic and one-time highly successful medium-wave station 3XY was shut down at 1pm on Monday, September 23, 1991. After more than half a century on the air in Melbourne, Australia, the old original 3XY was gone, gone forever. But out back on April the 19th, 1944, there was a military parade through the downtown streets of Melbourne City, with soldiers marching, a musical band from the Royal Air Force playing, and aircraft flying in formation overhead. A prominent announcer from radio station 3XY, Alwyn Kurtz, was in one of the accompanying aircraft, and he was describing for listeners what he was observing in the parade on the city streets below. The aircraft, which announcer Kurtz was in, was a very special aircraft. It was a Douglas DC-3, and work on it was completed as number 67 of that model at the aircraft factory in Long Beach, California, in April 1937. It was flown out as a passenger airliner for KLM, with Dutch registration as PH-ALW. In 1942, the plane was flown to the Archerfield Airport in Brisbane, Australia, where it was made available for Pacific wartime usage with the new Australian registration VHCXE. General Douglas MacArthur flew in that aircraft to the national capital, Canberra, for government consultations. 
For subsequent wartime usage, the callsign was changed to VHCXL. However, in 1944, that aircraft was no longer needed for the war effort, and it was then taken over by the national airline ANA with the callsign VH-ANR, and that was subsequently changed to VH-ANQ. The Douglas plane was withdrawn from service on July 27, 1972, and because of its historic value, it was ultimately donated to the Queensland Air Museum for permanent display. The plane was dismembered and carried by two trucks to the museum airport at Calundra, south of the city of Brisbane, where it was restored by volunteer labour. That historic old Douglas DC-3 is now on display as VH-ANR, the only Douglas DC-3 on display anywhere in the world. Now, while 3XY announcer Alwyn Kurtz was giving a live commentary about the parade below in the city streets of Melbourne, he suggested to the pilot that he should perform a few aerobatics. When the pilot swung the aircraft suddenly, the radio announcer was thrown off his balance and he landed against the aircraft door. The aircraft door was dislodged and it fell to the streets below, damaging a car on impact. Fortunately, however, no one was injured. The falling aircraft door event became a major news feature in the daily newspapers in Melbourne, though fortunately the 3XY radio announcer himself was not injured and neither did he fall from the plane. (laughs) Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray. That report came from Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles, California. On the night of September 28th, Hurricane Ian swept through central Florida, doing billions of dollars of damage especially on the west coast of the state where the eye hit land, and then making its way across central Florida. The eye came extremely close to WRMI's transmitter site in Okeechobee, where we record WaveScan and broadcast it many times each week. The highest winds were around 100 miles per hour, and they did extensive damage to WRMI's antennas and transmission lines. Dozens of telephone poles, which are used to carry the transmission lines from the transmitter building to the antennas in the field, were blown down by the winds and had to be repaired or replaced. As we record this, the frequencies of 5950 and 9395 kHz are back on the air and operating 24 hours per day. WRMI is gradually putting its transmitters back on the air as their transmission lines and antennas are repaired. This is a process that will take several days or perhaps weeks. So you may find that some of WRMI's regular frequencies are off the air during this time. We received a Facebook message from one listener who said, the shortwave bands are eerily silent without WRMI. But we continue to produce WaveScan on schedule each week and we'll broadcast it from WRMI on the available frequencies as we put the facilities back on the air. Incidentally, the WRMI web stream at WRMI.net never went out during or after the hurricane, and it's running 24 hours per day, with mostly the programming for 9955 kHz, but some other programs as well. On September 29th, the BBC, which marks 100 years next month, announced that there will be 30 million pounds worth of budget cuts at the World Service for 2023 
and 2024, resulting in almost 400 job losses, which is one-fifth of their total workforce. The reason was given as cuts in overall BBC funds, which come from television license fees. Everyone who owns a TV in the UK pays £159 per year for their license fee, and this has been frozen at the same level for two years. In addition to the jobs eliminated, there will be many other changes at the World Service. Most prominently, there will be what's called a digital-first approach to everything. About half of the World Service's 41 language services will become online only. That means the radio services will go off the air. This will affect the following language services that will become online only. Arabic, Persian, Kyrgyz, Uzbek, Hindi, Bengali, Chinese, Indonesian, Tamil, Urdu, Gujarati, Igbo, Yoruba, and Pidgin. They say none of the current language services will be eliminated completely. Most of them will just not be audible on the radio anymore. A lot of BBC World Service technicians and sound engineers will be losing their jobs, and the unions are currently battling with the BBC. Interestingly, part of the organizational changes will involve transferring some journalists who are currently covering Asia from the London offices of the BBC World Service. They will be relocated to the Asian countries they're covering. Members of the Thai and Vietnamese services will go to Bangkok. Korean broadcasters will move to Seoul. Bangla service personnel will be transferred to Dhaka, Bangladesh. And some African BBC TV service producers will relocate to Nairobi. Some of these personnel have indicated they don't want to be relocated. And a new China unit will be created in London. Meanwhile, the BBC insists that the English World Service will remain a 24-hour service. And it will do some new things like podcasts for younger audiences. We're going to play for you now the announcement about these World Service changes that was made on the BBC NewsHour on September 29th and an interview with the director of the World Service. This is James Menendez with NewsHour, live from the BBC. Now, as you know, we don't like to talk about ourselves if we can avoid it, but sometimes there is news about the BBC that we do need to share. And today saw the announcement of a major reorganisation of the BBC World Service, particularly its foreign language broadcasts, of which there are 41 in all. Under the plan, seven more of those services will only be available on digital platforms, meaning that nearly half of all our language services will be digital only. Some radio broadcasts, including those in Arabic and Persian, will end. The aim is to save just over $30 million a year, mainly through job losses, about 380 overall. Lillian Landor is in charge of the BBC's international services. We're doing this because if we don't do this, we will not survive, as plainly as this. The, because, because of money? Primarily because of money, but also very much because on the platforms that we're in. We need to be digital because our audiences are digital, and that's not a cliche. This is an absolute reality. We need to follow audiences. In some ways, we will not be following. We will be slightly ahead because we are probably speeding up slightly the process of digitalization. 
but ultimately, as you know from yourself, your own practices, as you as you know from that of your children or whatever, this is this is where we are. But are all our audiences digital already? I no. mean, not all of them have smartphones. Don't no. many of them still rely on those radio broadcasts? To get their information. Absolutely. And in those countries, we will remain on radio. You know, I mean, the BBC has a mission and this is far more important to me than the amount of money that we are spending or saving. And if that means that in some areas of the world, like in Afghanistan, like in Somalia, like in Ethiopia, Horn of Africa, we need to stay on radio. Of course, we will be staying on radio. We are staying on radio until such time as. But for now, most definitely, that's how the World Service reaches reaches it, its audiences and those who need it. But many people listening will, will look at the proposals, for example, to cut radio in Arabic and Persian. They'll think mm. about the you know continuous upheavals in mm. the Arab world. They'll look mm. at the protests happening in Iran and they'll say, mm. aren't there people who ne- still need access to those, particularly when you have mm. governments that want to censor the internet and can shut down the internet at a moment's notice? I mean, I think this is a very apt question and... Of course, I did my homework before taking the decisions that we've taken. And if you look at Iran and the audience of our Persian radio, it's 1.1 million. Out of this audience, only 14% access BBC Persian on radio alone. All of the rest use other platforms as well as radio. So they would access us on digitally or TV So when one takes decisions that are so important, so crucial to our staff and to our audiences, of course, you have to think about all of this. Can I cut a service, a platform that is yielding so many audiences and uh, who are audiences of need? In this case, 145 audiences we have had to sacrifice. Yes, but I mean, the question was about the vulnerability of some of those platforms as well. You know, if people are getting their news via their smartphones and then a government decides to simply cut internet access. But James, we've had that in Ukraine, we've had that in Russia. And what we do is we circumvent people in those countries are far more practiced than you and I at circumventing these blockages, internet blockages. This is how people do it in China, for instance, to just give you an example. But certainly Russia, this is how we've continued to grow an audience on digital where digital is practically blocked. Just to be clear, though, you wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't a shortage of money. You wouldn't be making these I know that's not at all what I've said. We will absolutely be doing this. Will we be speeding this up? Perhaps we would have taken a little bit more time to transition. But would we have cut linear in order to move on to digital? Would we have encouraged audiences to come to our own platforms, engage with the BBC, recognize that it is the BBC that they're listening to, absolutely we would have and absolutely we should have. One final question, though. I mean, is it a sad day, though? As you well know, BBC Arabic on radio is one of the oldest, if not the oldest language service. And that is going. That is sad, isn't it? Yeah, this is, of course, it is sad. It is not going tomorrow. We are going to take some time, of course, to move from radio to better online TV. But BBC Arabic TV stays. BBC Arabic TV will get more and more creative and vibrant. BBC Arabic Digital will hopefully soar. So, you know, it is sad in one way. 
declining audiences, etc. And it is it is quite promising for the future of the World Service. That's what I would say. That was Lillian Landau, head of the BBC's uh, International Services. That was a segment from the BBC NewsHour on September 29th, letting listeners know about the upcoming changes at the BBC World Service, including many cases of eliminating shortwave and other radio transmissions. We've been told that there will probably not be any reductions in BBC World Service broadcasts on shortwave for the B-22 broadcast season, which begins at the end of October, but there probably will be some shortwave reductions for the A-23 season beginning in March 2023, including for Arabic, Bengali, and Farsi languages, and possibly English. Let's go to Henry Umahai now in the Philippines. Hello everyone, to our dear shortwave listeners, wherever you are, welcome to the October 9th edition of the Philippine DX. This is report number 187. I'm Henry Umadai in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Glad to be back and thank you for listening. I would like to thank our DXer friends for sending the reception report. Most recently, Mr. Richard Lemke in Alberta, Canada, Mr. Anatoly Klefov in Moscow, Russia, Mr. Jan Sakari Alvarez in Cavite here in the Philippines. To all of you, thank you very much. Reception logs for September 2022. September 2, Radio Taiwan International on 15320 in English. From Pauchong at 0325 SIO 430. September 2, RTMY Limbang FM on 11665 in Malayalam from Kajang at 0858 SIO444. September 3, China National Radio 6 on 9420 in Hakka from Beijing at 0904 SIO444. September 9, KBS World Radio on 9570 in Korean from Kimchi at 0907 SIO454. September 9, World Christian Broadcaster. KNLS on 9695 in Russian, Param Anchor Point at 0911, SIO 555, September 9, NHK World Radio Japan on 9750 in Japanese, Param Yamata at 0913, SIO 430, September 16, Radio New Zealand International on 9245 in English, Param Rajitaki at 0920, SIO 333, September 16, Masal Radio. On 15365 in Pasto from Odontani at 0913 SIO330 September 24 Radio Taiwan International on 12065 in Cantonese from Pauchong at 0923 SIO555 September 24 Transworld Radio KTWR on 11965 in Sunda from Guam at 0925 SIO430 September 24 BBC World Service on 11945 in English from Kranji, Singapore, 0927, SIO444, and September 24, Voice of Korea, on 11735 in English from Kunchang at 0940, SIO433. Send us your comments, suggestions, reception logs, and informations to PilipinasDX at gmail.com. That's P I L I P I N A S D X for PilipinasDX at gmail.com. This has been Henry Umaday for Wavescan in Bacolod City, Negros Occidental Central Philippines. Saying mabuhay at maraming salamat po. Thank you, Henry. Oh,
And we end WaveScan today with music by the Madrigal Sofia Chamber Choir from Bulgaria, conducted by Stoyan Kralev. Music that we picked up on our recent trip to the HFCC conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. This choir's works are uh, repertoire, are mainly uh, Renaissance and Baroque works. Well, thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, Hurricane Fiona and the early shortwave scene on Guadeloupe in the Caribbean. Also our Bangladesh DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone.